Mr. Simpson, how do you respond to the charge that petty vandalism such as graffiti is down 80% while heavy sack beatings are up a shocking 900%? Oh, people can come up with statistics to prove anything, Kent. 40% of all people know that. I see. Well, what do you say to the accusation that your group has been causing more crimes than it's been preventing? Oh, Kent, I'd be lying if I said my men weren't committing crimes. Hmm, touche. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And, oh god, this episode. It's not bad. That's the thing. It's not last week's episode. I liked talking about last week's episode because it was so very, very bad. But the thing about this episode is that it's thematically scattered. There's not a cohesiveness to it. I mean, what is the theme of this episode? What? Is, not even this episode. What is the theme of Alice's character throughout the course of events in this episode? Is it that she's invisible and no one sees her? Because that seems like it's the theme in the present day stuff, but it has shit all to do with the past flashback stuff. There is no theme for Alice in the flashback stuff, but I do want to back up a second because what I wrote in my notes is what's the theme of Robin's character? Robin's character is so inconsistent, especially like we've seen her two separate episodes her personality was happy-go-lucky archer girl living on a farm with her mom uh-huh. and her other personality was and the other time we saw her earlier in canon i need to clarify because other personality means something different in the context of once upon a time we see in a later episode that when she was younger, she was a Ripper-esque black magic wants to destroy the world character. Oh, that's such a generous read of her character because I saw her more as that teenage pagan phase that we all went through. I think she was like if Dawn and Ripper got smooshed together. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds about right. So Robin's been pretty all over the map character-wise, and this episode does not consolidate that at all. No, no, I. it's almost like there's just a bunch of extra pieces shoved into this episode to both get us to the next plot point we need to get to and also to kind of fluff out the season. This episode really feels like it could have just used, like, another draft or two, like... Or ten. I, I, hate, I say this for so much stuff where it's like it has the bones of a good story. It's just everything around those bones. Oh, this is the opposite, though. There are some good moments in this episode, but it's the structure that's lacking. Mm. There are several times that I will bring it back to the structure in this episode is bad. Well, there's no narrative cohesion. It's just things are happening all over the place. There's not anything that's really holding them together as a story. Yes, that is true. You mentioned that we're re-recording this episode, which is episode 14 of season 7, The Girl in the Tower. Mm -hmm. And I happened to tweet out on our Twitter account, I Love TV Zines, mm. that we were re-recording because these middle episodes are just so hard to talk about the way they drag. And one of our listeners responded, oh my god, are we still in the middle? Yeah, we're pretty square in the middle. This is This is the spinning the wheels part of the season. Because we got rid of who was essentially the big bad at the beginning of the season. That's the other thing. That's the other structure problem I'm having with this season. I have no idea who the villain is. Like, it seems like it's supposed to be 
Gothel, but that's also we, kind of... I thought it was supposed to be Baron Sandy. He hasn't really had enough time, though. Like I assume that we're going to find out he's the one killing the Coven of Eight for some reason. We haven't even figured out why that's supposed to be a bad thing. The Coven of Eight are evil. I mean, I know blah, 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 killing's wrong, but, like... <laughs> Did you just blah, blah, blah over killing is wrong? Yeah. All right. I mean, this is a universe that has an established afterlife, so I feel like it's less of a big deal here. Interesting thought. Let's put that aside. I I do... You know, I think it's probably also hard for us. In seasons past, it's been easier to get through the, the kind of down middle part of a season because we know what's coming. We don't know what's coming now. This could be forever. Yeah, this could just be the point that this show ends on. It could just end on this low point. I don't think it does, though. No, I'm sure it's going to do the Once Upon a Time thing and sort of pick up near the end, but... And then we'll be like, why did they cancel it? Not really, we won't be, but, you know. But this just feels like... I don't know, like... I guess it's a Once Upon a Time problem in general, where they have point A, point B, and point C, and... The show gets really good around point A, point B, and point C because these are the things they planned for, but they didn't really plan how to get from point A, point B, point C, so it's all just kind of faffing about in the middle. Yeah, well, in this episode, it already feels like they took a turn from where they meant to go, so it's extra kind of muddled. Mm. But let's get into talking about the episode. Okay, so as a reminder... Alice is New Hook and Gothel's daughter. She's trapped in the tower taking Gothel's place. And Hook's heart is cursed, so if he is physically near her, he will die. Also, last episode, Tilly, Alice's Hyperion Heights personality, was found by Hook and Rumpel, who are cops in Hyperion Heights, standing over a dead body, so it looks really bad. Standing over a dead body, holding a bloody scalpel. Yeah, does not look good for her. Also does not make the Seattle Police Department look great, because she knocked out, like, four cops in order to get in there and stab this lady. it's true. Well, she grew up in Wonderland, so. All right. So she's used to taking out cops. So she knows how to fight. Yeah. All right. I mean, I say she grew up in Wonderland. I meant she, like, spent some teen years in Wonderland. Actually, she grew up in a tower, which is where this episode starts in the flashback, in what I called in my notes, Alice's Tower of Almost. Hmm. Expand upon that. Okay. So we see Alice in the tower, and... This Alice is not the Alice in Wonderland that you know, not the Alice in Wonderland from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. This is like a girl who's named Alice and has spent time in Wonderland and has a bunch of toys that almost make you think of Alice in Wonderland, right? She's got the, she's got a stuffed rabbit and she's got a friendly top hat that she calls Mr. Hatter. God. Yeah, she's a... She's going pretty deep in the, gosh, this is a kind of specific uh, subtrope, isn't it? Like the girl who lived in isolation and she's had the 10,000 hours to work on a bunch of stuff and mostly what she's worked on is building an elaborate fantasy land. Yeah. She's like that lady from uh, the movie version of Catfish. Oh, she kind of is. Because she's built all of these elaborate personas and she has them interact with each other. 
Yeah, I guess that is what you would do if you were stuck in a tower with no one to talk to. I think it's kind of a dick move that Hook didn't bring people to talk to her at all. Yeah, right? Like, I mean... Other people could come and go from the tower. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Hook. Be a good dad. And just because you physically can't be around her anymore doesn't mean that... Like, she had one outlet for, you know, being social and she lost that, like... Come on, dude, do a little heavy lifting here. Right? Like, start a fucking daycare. Sorry, I know we talk about time on this show a lot. Mm-hmm. So, Hook is gonna get old and sad. Yeah, old, fat, drunk Hook. Right. So, I don't know how long that's gonna take for him to get to that point, but between now and when he reaches that point, and then meets Henry, and then is magically returned to his young handsome self Mm. alice's actress doesn't change so i don't know how many years it takes to you know go down that road and then come back okay we're going i want to put a pin in this and then take it out when she meets robin because the timeline in this episode makes no goddamn sense okay so i'll just put that to the side for now and keep talking about alice's almost she mentions that today is her birthday to her tea party stuffed pals And then she sings a very happy birthday to me to the tune of a very merry unbirthday. It's almost the song from the Disney movie, but not because it actually is her birthday, which makes that song make no sense because the whole point of the song is the madness of singing a song when it's not your birthday. But I'm going to put that aside because then she almost recreates the first scene from... Once upon a time. Right, where she puts a candle in a cupcake and blows it out while the camera pushes in on her face and she makes a wish. So I'm assuming the tower does provide food. Yeah, I guess so. So she blows out the candle and makes a wish, but nothing happens immediately, which, as we know, you wait a little bit for magic to kick in. Like, she immediately hops on the giving up train. You say that a lot. Let's actually talk about that here. Blows out the candle. Three seconds. She waits a whole three seconds. And just to be clear, the troll shows up 13 seconds after she makes the wish. Like, (laughs) did you think you were going to immediately just, like, blow out the candle, wish to be not in the tower anymore, and then just be out of the tower? I mean, just wait for the loading screen, Alice. Jesus. Seriously. But a troll does appear. A troll shows up, rips the top off the tower... And I guess trolls don't have to worry about blood magic? Yeah, it was a really big deal that, like, no one could break her out of the tower. Uh, Hook tried for years, nothing, but this random-ass troll just rips the roof off the tower and everything's cool, I guess. She's not physically trapped in the tower, she's trapped by blood- Okay, whatever. Whatever. It's dumb, let's move on. Well. 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 Oh, No, that still doesn't work because the point is someone of Alice's blood has to stay behind. Well, um, my thing was, just for later in the episode, we know that this troll, spoilers for later in the episode, that this troll was created by Alice specifically to take her out of the tower using her really vaguely defined wishing powers. Uh Uh-huh. So maybe that was like the magic she imbued the troll with when she created it. Or maybe she used her magic to destroy the barrier subconsciously. And this was just so she'd have a way out. Like, I don't know. I'm bullshitting. 
is Alice going to end up being the guardian? I think that's what... Yes, almost definitely. Definitely. Especially because, as we find out in this episode, even though nobody really talks about it and it's very underplayed, in this episode, Alice is shown to have wishing magic. When she wishes for something, it happens. Yeah, this is like author-level powerful magic. Also, they haven't talked about the Guardian in so long. I keep on forgetting if it's one of those plot points that just became discontinuity. Yeah, I forgot that was a plot point. Right, right. Um, Rumpel a... needs the Guardian for reasons? Yes, Rumpel needs the Guardian to destroy the Dark One power once and for all so he can naturally age and die and meet Belle in Heaven because Heaven is canonically a place that actually exists in Once Upon a Time. Okay, that's fair. And, uh... Gothel needs the Guardian for question mark. Like, she's talked about... She talked oh, right. To... Gothel wanted the Guardian as well. And she's been putting people through all of these morality trials to try to find who might be the Guardian. Now, I... Yeah, I don't know why Gothel needs the Guardian either. Okay, so... <laughs> Which just goes back to the who's supposed to be the villain in this. Yeah, it's Gothel's coven that's being killed off, but... Gothel is still holding Anastasia prisoner. Let's just mention that Anastasia is still being held prisoner for two full episodes and no one seems to care. Huh, that might actually come up a little bit this episode. Yeah, because Ivy cares. We'll talk about that. But anyway. So the giant troll uh, reaches down to lift Alice out of the tower and Alice very kindly steps off screen so that they won't have to CGI the two of them interacting at all. Oh, that was nice. I I vaguely remember that it was really, really painful in this show when they've tried to CGI giants interacting with humans. Yes, there's some really awkward stuff when Emma had to interact with Hurley. Yeah, I feel like I've blocked most of that out because that CGI was just so awkward my head like smoothed it out. Remember when they had her bite his hand and she just had to open? It it was just Jennifer Morrison opening her mouth really wide and then going face down clearly in front of no like it was they didn't even give her like a tennis ball to bite on it was some real bad pantomime as opposed to good pantomime i guess which there's good pantomime i assume in the present day alice is standing in front of the stone troll the fremont troll which is a real troll in seattle technically speaking she's in front of the hyperion troll although there are things later in this episode yeah that we'll talk about that when we get to it but she basically fills the troll in on what's been going on, that she is a suspect in this murder case, and she doesn't think she did it because even though she has no memory of the night before, she also has no malice in her. Uh, she, she's Alice without malice. Yeah, she uses the word malice, which was very deliberately chosen. It's awkward, I think. Yeah, it's it's not great. So is she still on the pills that make her not remember stuff? I don't think so. No, I think she knows her. I know. I think she knows her fairy tale backstory. Because I remember she agreed to go back on those pills after she shot Rumpel all of those times. But then they sort of just never mentioned that ever again. So no, I'm pretty sure she remembers who she is. So Hook pulls up in a car. And by the way, this is the episode where Hook forgets he's a cop. Hmm. He's like, Tilly, get in the car. The police are after you. You're a policeman, dude. God, can you imagine, like, some really shitty cop trying that in reality? God. 
Quick, you have to get in the car. The cops are after you. Right? I'm just imagining out of a, you know, squad car with him in full uniform. God. Tilly does get in the car, though, because... It's Hook. He for- he forgot he's a cop. It's fine. How insulting for this show to make a pirate a cop, by the way. So, we cut back to the past where... Uh, Alice is spying on her dad and Henry with baby Lucy. Yeah, that'll be important for when we're talking about what time is. So Lucy has just been born. And Alice's spy times are interrupted by ironic archer the next generation. Yes, by Robin, who is holding a bow and arrow to her face. And she's like, don't move, spy, or I'm going to shoot you in the face. And Alice is like... Eh, no. And she just books it. Yeah, she runs. She's like, um, you're too close to me to get a good shot in, so I'm gonna run. I'm kind of surprised she didn't just grab the arrow. It's literally right there. That's probably what she should have done. Instead, she runs and knocks over a tripwire, causing a bamboo cage to fall down around her in a scene that is almost charming and snows meat cute. Almost, but not quite. Yeah, right? This is like the Alice of almost. Also, uh, A, this is a really, like, also, this is a really not that large cage that fell on her. Like, it's lucky that she tripped the tripwire in the specific place she did so that it would fall around her. Also, it's made out of bamboo. She could probably just pick it up and then keep running. It would have been funny if at the end of this scene, that's how it had been resolved. But then it would have just been that uh, bit from The Simpsons. You know, when they're on the island and Millhouse is in the bamboo cage because it's Lord of the Flies. I was, yeah, that is funny. I was thinking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where Roger gets out of the handcuffs. Oh, because it wouldn't have been funny. Yeah. So Robin runs up and she's like, okay, spy, tell me why you were spying on Nook, spy. And Alice is like, who the fuck is Nook? And Robin's like, oh, it's it's what we call Hook. It's It's short for New Hook. And Alice is like, what? Well, and frustratingly, Alice is like, wait, so does that make you Nobbin since you're new Robin? But Alice has no context for old Robin. Yeah. Yeah, what? What? I mean, also, does... This will come up a lot of times throughout the course of this episode, but does Robin not know that uh, the Wishverse version of her dad is out there running around? Well, remember when Regina tried to, like hook up with the wish first version of robin hood and then it turned out since he's actually not robin hood and didn't have a past with her he did not want to get it on with her yeah i I remember that i assume that if anyone did tell robin about the wish first version of her father they also clued her in that he's not actually her father he doesn't have fatherly feelings towards her he's it's not going to be a satisfying reunion but i mean it i would still think that she would want to meet him Well, I mean, maybe she has in the 20 to 70 years since we last saw her, because let's talk about time. All right, so let's talk about time a little bit here, because we have two characters who are very specifically placed in time now. Let's talk about time. So we have a very specific marker for what time it is. As I think we discussed before, uh, we're using Lucy's age as the way to tell what time is. Right. So Lucy was an infant just now when Alice was spying on them. So we know we are eight years away from the Dark Curse being cast. Yes. And we are at least a couple of years in 
from Henry coming to this land in the first place. Yes. So this takes place before we know that we know that when the curse is cast, before the curse is cast, Regina goes to visit Zelina to recruit her to help fight against the upcoming curse. Right. And at that point, she and Robin, who is 25. Who is 25. Robin establishes herself as 25 when Regina goes to recruit her and Zelina for the resistance. I, I guess it's not the resistance at that point because they're running the country then. It's the curse breaky army. Yes. The anti-curse squad. Right. So when they go to recruit Zelina and Robin to the anti-curse squad... It's been eight years since the events of this episode that we're watching. Yes, because Lucy, it happens on Lucy's eighth birthday and Lucy's a baby here. Right. So everything that's going to happen now and then Robin and Alice have eight years to have their relationship develop because they are together. Mm -hmm. And after whatever's happening now, it will end with Robin deciding to live on a farm with her mother. Which is weird because later, I mean... Okay. Well, here's here's my question. Robin says she has just joined up with these people, which also tracks because it was right around Lucy's birth that Zelina and Robin and Gothel had their whole showdown. Yes. And at that point, there was no resistance because... Because they'd taken over the country at that point. Right. Wait. No, here's the problem. I think I've just pinpointed the problem with the timeline. By the time Lucy's born, Tiana is queen. But we're but this episode is treating that group as though they are still the resistance. Yeah. That's what's wrong. Yeah. What? Yeah, and and Robin wasn't working with them then anyway. Like did Robin give up once they won like or not give up once they won? Did she go back? But but There's no it, point where Robin would have been working for the Resistance. The Resistance was already successful by the time Robin came to fake fairy tale land. Yeah. The timeline in this episode makes no goddamn sense. Right. There's no reason for her to be, like, running out worried about spies. And I, Unless she's supposed to be some sort of royal guard. Did they give her some sort of royal guard position so that she could feel like Robin Hood? I have no clue. Her thing throughout this episode is supposed to be her trying to live up to her father's legacy, which would mean literally nothing to her. I mean... Although, you know, that does kind of explain why she later says, and this really bothered me, she later says that fighting the troll is her one chance to carry on her father's legacy, which is such a weird wait to put on this one troll hunt but that makes sense if the rebellion is over and she has nothing to do she's like she's like hamilton at the beginning of hamilton where she's like i'm an orphan half an orphan i wish there was a war i could fight in which is both in the musical hamilton and also something he legit wrote in a letter god so kids are dumb yeah so alice tells nobbin that she was just trying to look at her dad and robin's like oh you were looking at Nook. That must make you Alice, that girl who was trapped in the tower. And I'm like, I just, I'm having so much trouble with, there's there's not been a ton of continuity in this season so far. And it seems weird that this episode is just dedicated to taking an axe to what little continuity they establish. Well, here's a real problem. We've been spoiled enough to know that there's a timeline surprise at some point. 
And this show hasn't been super great about continuity ever. Mm. So now every time there's a continuity mistake, we're like, oh, is this going to be part of the timeline surprise? Or do they just not remember their timeline? Well, remember when Regina went to pick up Robin and Selena for the curse-breaking squad, uh, she literally says, ugh, timelines. Yeah. Which... Yeah. I mean, I guess... I guess the show's theory is we are already pot committed at this point. If we cared about timelines, we would not still be here. But anyway, now that Robin knows that Alice isn't there to assassinate anyone, she just wanted to look at her dad, she lets her out of the cage, and they hear the troll roaring from far off, and Robin's like, that's why I'm here, to hunt the troll. And Alice is like, wait, I thought you were here to stop people from spying on the resistance. And Alice and Robin's like, shut up, I'm hunting the troll. And Alice says, that's not a troll, that's my friend. A, it is a troll. Trolls can be friends, apparently. I didn't have a B, that's it. I was gonna go for my... Oh, because I thought your B was gonna be... That noise could be a lot of things. Yeah, that could be a different troll. Whatever. Back in Hyperion Heights, Lucy, who is not awake but has been filled in. Which, why don't they do that for more people? But anyway, uh. she and Ronnie, Regina, are coming up with their next operation, which is, I guess, Operation Spy on My Fuck Buddy. Is that what they decided to name it? I think it is. <sighs> yes. Operation Spy on Regina's Fuck Buddy, where. Regina is going to distract Dr. Facilier by taking him to the park while Lucy... She's going to distract Dr. Facilier by taking him to Bone Town. Yes, while Lucy goes through his apartment and looks for things that he might be up to. Regina says, uh, it's not a real operation unless we have walkie-talkies, and she turns them on and there's immediately really loud feedback. Yeah, yeah. And so she she gets a text and she picks up her phone and it's Lucy saying, maybe we could just use our cell phones. You asked you asked me before what the theme of this episode is. One of the many themes that are not followed through on this episode is kids these days. Yeah, there's a couple weird pot shots at millennials i guess well i mean lucy is lucy's not even gen z lucy's uh lucy's alpha generation which is the one below gen z there can't be something below gen z already there needs to be time for generational gaps to evolve i think yeah also as millennials ourselves i would like to feel like an adult before there are two generations below us and i just don't yet yeah i'm sorry it's your gen z if you're under a millennial oh now you sound like a boomer who think that millennial is just a catch-all for young people? But there, how is there things distinguishing Gen Z from Alpha whatever? Oh, I don't know if there's stuff yet, but Lucy's too young to be Gen Z. How is she too young to be Gen Z? Okay, so... Millennials go for like a decade. Uh-huh. Or more than a decade even. Yeah, so millennials are... I mean, let's say roughly millennials are people who are between 30 and 40, which is... Okay, so that would make Gen Z, even if we're doing decades, people between 20 and 30. And Lucy is nine. I think the general gap is longer than 10 years, though. I mean, honestly, I'd say millennial starts at, like, what? It goes from, like, 25 to before 40. 
Well, millennials are specifically, you were coming of age during the millennium. So during the 2000s, you were coming of age. Mm. So the outside is you were born in the 80s, and then you were in your, and then you were in your early 20s during the, during the 2000s. So then the other side would be, I, I think the cutoff would be, I could look up what the official cutoff is, but I would say 95 would have to be a hard line. You can't possibly be born past 95 and still be considered a millennial. Mm. But I don't think you get a generation until you hit a certain age either. Oh, yeah, totally. Like Lucy's part of a thing. Lucy's part of a generation that hasn't really been identified yet. Yeah. My point is she's not Gen Z. She's too young for that. But yeah, you're right. She's not really part of a thing that's been named. So anyway, there are a lot of pot shots at young people, which kind of and the whole like there's going to be a thing later where Lucy suggests using cell phones. But uh oh, cell phones don't work, which these walkie-talkies wouldn't work. The whole reason Emma's walkie-talkies were, like, an effective thing was was because they were, like, police-grade walkie-talkies. Yeah, because Emma just flat-out stole them from the sheriff's department. Well, I mean, she was a cop. That doesn't mean you get to just use the stuff. Apparently it does. Remember, she was a cop, that ma- and that's what made it okay for her to just go into whoever's house she wanted. God. The police in this whole show are so corrupt. Except for Hook, which is why he forgets he's a cop. Anyway, Lucy and Regina hatch their new plan, which is that she's going to go, which is, as you said, she's going to go spy on Baron Samdi. And I love, as soon as Regina says Baron Samdi's name, Lucy's like, oh, Dr. Facilier. Because it's a terrible code name. Yeah, she's like, oh, that's the person it obviously is. I've heard a story ever. I know who that is. And I do like that Lucy's not necessarily assuming he's a villain right off the bat. She's like, oh, because he's a witch doctor and he might have something that can help my dad. I also liked that. Because I think she's also kind of picked up on the attraction between Ronnie and Samdi. I think she's also down with the, oh, in this show, villains aren't necessarily villainous. Like evil queen. Or wicked witch who walks in. It's great because... Zelina walks in just as Regina says, now remember, don't let Zelina know about any of this. And Zelina's like, know about any of what? And Regina's like, uh, I'm thinking about adding a kid's menu. And, and Zelina's like, to the bar. Now, to be fair, this is really like a restaurant slash bar, so... It's not the dumbest idea ever. Plus, don't tell me that those Seattle people wouldn't love a kid's menu. Oh, yeah. Come on. There's actually an episode of the TV show Difficult People mm-hmm. where the main characters, where, where Billy and Julie get to take over the restaurant Julie works at for a week, and they turn it into a kid's menu restaurant, a restaurant that is for adults but serves like grilled cheese and chicken fingers, and it's super popular. Yeah. I, and it totally would be. I think we already talked about this, but that grilled cheese truck... Oh, yeah, the food cart that just serves grilled cheese. Just the one kind of grilled cheese. They cost a dollar. If you give them more than a dollar, you will get that amount of grilled cheese. Well, I mean... They do not do change. So first of all, they shouldn't give you that amount of grilled cheese. They should consider the rest of it a tip. But also, when we heard that story, my first thought was, I need a grilled cheese. And I went and made a grilled cheese for myself. I would totally eat at that cart. So back in the stronger subplot that's been running through these last few episodes. Yeah, you mean the subplot where we've gotten like three minutes of it across three episodes and maybe it should have just been the main subplot of its own episode? Yeah, 
Yeah, Ivy is talking to Henry about the amends she needs to make. She's on an angel-esque journey of redemption. And it's weird because she literally is picking up the conversation from last episode with no context for the viewers if they didn't watch last week's episode. Yes. Remember last week she reconnected with Jacinda? Yeah, and now she's going to go find Anna, her sister, who no one else is looking for. She's like the barb of this show. Yeah, yeah. I don't get why Ivy didn't just say that last episode when she was talking to Jacinda instead of doing that. You know, she was all, uh, oh, I need to go finish what our mother started. And Jacinda was like, gentrify the neighborhood? And Ivy's like, there's no time to explain. Right? Well... There's lots of time to explain. To be fair, Jacinda's not awake, so she would have had to be like, okay, so I have another sister, and there was like a whole thing, and now I have to go rescue her. Okay, let's not, but I would like to mention, I don't want to get into a whole thing about it, but to what degree was Anastasia like a person in the dark, curse-created neighborhood? Well, I think it's like Belle, right? Because Belle didn't really have a personality until they found her. Back in back in Once Upon a Time, Mark 1. So I think zero. I think zero chance. So even though Ivy and Jacinda grew up as stepsisters, I don't think Jacinda has any memory of an Anastasia person. Better hope she doesn't talk to Henry or Hook or any of the other people who seem to be aware of Anastasia as, you know, Victoria Belfry's other daughter. God, maybe she did have a Hyperion Heights backstory. I don't know. You're right. Let's not get into the weeds on this. Because there's something else I want to get into the weeds on. All right. Henry's kind of being really sweet with Ivy right now. Mm -hmm. And Ivy's like, no, you don't want me. You want somebody who, like, matches you, like Jacinda. And Ivy, why are you pushing him to Jacinda? You know he'll die if he kisses her. Yeah, that's weird. Also, this kind of flipped the thing they had last, I think it was last episode, where she was really sad that her mom died, so she tried to make out with Henry, and Henry's like, let's not do that. Yeah, that's exactly what happened last episode. I, It's so weird. Ivy says she's going to go on her, like, apology tour, and Henry doesn't understand why, but she needs to apologize to him. You know, for that whole, if he kisses Jacinda, he'll die thing, but she doesn't say that part. Yeah, she's like... The first person on my apology tour should be you because you're the person I've hurt the most. And he's like, did you set the fire that killed my family? And she's like, shh, no one cares about that. They weren't real. As far as we know, maybe they were. Yeah, again, as far as we know. Also, also just to like touch on structure again, this should have been its own episode. You know, all of the bits and pieces we've been getting should have been one episode on its own. And maybe this show could have kind of grown the chemistry between Ivy and Henry, especially now that Ivy is being redeemed. And maybe people could have started to root for them to maybe get together. And then there's like this emotional and romantic tension that's drawing out the resolution of the season instead of just wheel turning and the show physically not letting what should happen happen. Mm. Just, just a thought. But you know, just symptomatic of what's wrong with the structure in these little mid-season episodes. So Ivy gives Henry a little speech about how she's going to find her sister and she's going to make amends to everyone and that maybe if she had had more people like him in her life 
when she was younger she wouldn't turn out the way she did and then she kisses him on the cheek and leaves she literally had jacinda in her life when she was younger so yeah again a lot of ivy's plot has sort of been i guess i was evil for no reason i could have just stopped living with my mom well that's because when they did the sharp turn that changed the backstory it really took away a lot of ivy's motivation Mm. so the second Ivy is gone. The like, second she leaves, there's a knock at the door. Henry hasn't even, like, completely closed the door. And it's Hook and Tilly. It's great because he opens the door because he, he's like, Ivy? And they're like, no, it's us. And he's like, did you, what? Did you teleport here? And, and I, I love how Hook's like, you need to let us in. The police are after us. And Henry's like, aren't you the police? That's what I'm saying. This is the episode where Hook forgets he's the police. Oh, Then we go back to fake medieval land. Uh, where Alice and Robin are walking down a fake medieval alley. Yes, well, Robin is and Alice is tailing her. Yeah. Robin even says, how did you keep up? I took track, which... Ugh. Alice has no idea what you're talking about. But I guess she grew up in a tower, so she wouldn't know what you're talking about anyway. Yeah, and Alice is like, this one time I outran a bandersnatch, and Robin's like, ugh, God. Also, to be fair, as far as Alice knows, Robin has no context for bandersnatch, but she does because she grew up in our world where Alice's stuff is a book. Do you think Mary Margaret taught, like, fairy tales in that school she was running? Awkward. Yeah. I mean, just imagine... So they enter a tavern because that is how you start an adventure, by entering a tavern, only to see that it is full of refugees because the troll has destroyed every non-tavern building in the town, and it's just full of bleeding disaster victims. Yeah. Alice actually says, no, you don't understand, the troll is a gentle giant, and and no, and no, he's not. He, he leveled a town. It is kind of lucky for Robin that she can demonstrate that he's not by simply opening a door to, you know, the room full of his victims. Well, this is another place where the structure of this episode is weird. An episode like this logically should have had the troll not be evil, either have a reason for what he did or not be the person who was doing this, but that doesn't happen. The troll just freaking leveled a bunch of people. So, they're approached by the leader of the village, who is a guy named Clayton. Is that a Tarzan thing? Is he supposed to be, like, the great hunter from Tarzan? I have no idea who Clayton is supposed to be. I was going to say that the show tells us his name is Clayton in captions. We don't hear his name anywhere else. But that I'm just going to call him overly sexist guy. Like, even for fake fairy tale land, he's super sexist. Well, they sort of need him to... They need a reason for him to be the antagonist. Because I spend literally the whole episode being like, he is right. Because he, he comes up to uh, Alice and Robin. He's like, oh, hey, Robin. Not by name. He's like, oh, hey, you have weapons. Can you stay here and, like, look after the women and children while we go hunting the troll that destroyed our village? And Robin's like, fuck the women and children. I want to hunt the troll. Where's the glory in protecting people? Well, I mean, she's not wrong. Yeah, she's not wrong, but I'm sorry. Why do you want to be a hero again? Is it to stroke your own ego? Yes. 
Yeah, okay, point. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like she's actually concerned about helping people. It seems like she's a self-aggrandizing asshole. Okay, now, I, I know you're saying that's so angry, but she never said she was trying to help people. She said she was trying to build a legacy, so, yeah. Point. It's, it, Robin Hood is as advertised. Yes, but he's a sexist, I guess, because he's asking this woman that they've never seen before to stay behind and protect the women and children because she's a woman. Yeah, the idea is that there's no way she could go hunt with them, even though he does assume that she knows how to use her bow and arrow that she has. Well enough to protect the women and children under his care. Right, I would think a real sexist guy would assume that she didn't know how to use that, especially because a bow and arrow is not an easy weapon to use. Yeah. So, the episode really wants us to hate this guy, but he's honestly kind of fairly reasonable throughout most of the episode. Because Alice is like, you don't know what you're talking about. He's not a monster. You're the real monster. And he's like, okay, so we're going to throw her in a dungeon because we don't need this lady interfering with us, you know, hunting the monster that destroyed our village. And since you came with her, we're going to put you there too. Okay, now to be fair, that is unreasonable. Yes, that is unreasonable. Robin's like, she's not with me. She just followed me here. Point. But also he has literally no reason to trust Either of them. Yes. So, dungeon. Dungeon for both. So, we cut from that to Henry, who's just getting filled in on the situation by Hook, and he's like, so, you're, you brought the woman who shot uh, Weaver a bunch of times, who's now wanted for different murder, to my apartment. Now, to be fair, Henry didn't know that she shot Weaver until Hook told him just now. God. They... Hook tells Hook tells Henry that what they really need is to find an alibi for Tilly. They need somebody who can say that she was somewhere other than the hospital at 3.20 yesterday. And the problem, as you mentioned, the theme of the modern parts of this episode is nobody sees Tilly. And here we have some more structure problems. Hmm. Because logically, since this is the episode about how Robin and Alice met and fell in love... And by the way, I'm saying that, but we don't actually get how Robin and Alice met and fell in love in this episode. Yeah, in the first incarnation, and in our first recording, we talked a lot more about how this is another very special gay episode, except it's not. Like, the last one we had, I don't think it was good. It had a very, a very, very special episode flavor about it, the one where Dorothy and Ruby got together. Mm-hmm. And this should be different because these are reoccurring characters in this series. It's not, oh, we're going to take one episode to acknowledge that gay people exist so that we can go back to never acknowledging that gay people exist. Yeah. This should be different, but it's not really romantic at all. It's all meat and no cute. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, that that is perfect. I feel like part of that could have been solved by fixing the structure. We should have had more time with Tilly and Alice in the flashback. And also, it would have been great, from a narrative standpoint, if the resolution of this alibi plotline had been that Robin saw her. Because the whole thing is, no one sees me, no one sees me. And then if Robin saw her, that would be a great resolution. A lot of, I feel like a lot of the structural issues in this episode would have been solved by having both storylines be about Alice and Robin's relationship. The modern day stuff should have been about... Alice and 
Margot, which is Robin's non fairy tale name, uh-huh. it should have been about the two of them hanging out in the real world. Like Alice is trying to retrace her steps. She brings, like, she meets Margot. Margot hangs out with her. And it turns out that she was also with Margot the day before. The scene that happens at the end of this episode where Margot and Tilly meet for the first time, presumably since the curse should have happened at the end of last episode, and then Margot should have been along for the ride on all of this modern stuff. Absolutely. Now, speaking of people who aren't along for the ride... Tilly. Yeah, so Tilly doesn't remember where she was, so she doesn't have an alibi. And Hook says he's going to retrace her steps. Yes, apparently the coroner gave a very exact time of death. Yeah, apparently in Hyperion Heights, time of death is super precise. Because they're like, it was, they're like the blind baker, which really you can't even give this lady a name in death. I know, it's so sad. But the blind baker was killed at exactly 3.07 and we didn't see Tilly in the uh, room until 4.05. So there's, you know, if she was somewhere else before that time period. Yeah. Also, does that mean all of the unconscious guards were unconscious for that long? Because all of those dudes are dead now. Well, I mean, let's let's give TV the benefit of pretending that people who are knocked unconscious aren't suffering super brain damage because every other TV show acts like that, so we'll just pretend it too. Yeah. Hook notices some powdered sugar on Tilly's jacket, and he realizes this must mean she was eating beignets, which must mean she went to the Roll and Bayou food cart yesterday, so that's where he's going to start. Mm-hmm. And... Tilly is excited to do this scavenger hunt where they retrace her steps, except Hook and Henry tell her to wait there while they go, which I understand there's a manhunt for her, I guess, so they don't want her with them, but also it seems like it would be really effective if she was with you and was like, oh, now I remember this, now I remember this. Yeah, also... I mean, they have a starting point, but they don't really have anything to follow that up on. Like, they'll go to a rolling bayou and they're like, hey, Sabine, did you see Tilly yesterday? And she'd be like, yep. And they'd be like, do you remember where she went? And she's like, no, I've got a very busy food cart. Yeah. End of trail. Hook's a terrible cop. So, in the probably best plot out of the three plots in this episode. Okay, y'all... There are two different reasons I wish this was a visual medium right now. Mm-hmm. One, so that I could imitate the thing that Regina does when Samdi opens the door, which is, like, do this really goofy schoolgirl smile and, like, shimmy her shoulders. Well, you know what she reminds me of? A, a toned-down Galinda from Wicked? No, she reminds me of Liz Lemon imitating Julia Roberts when she's trying to get the, uh, Richie the sound guy to, uh do the editing on her show that is what she looks like she looks like a person who is imitating what a romantic comedy heroine does but also like she means it like she's you know attracted to this guy because baron samby opens the door and he's like oh hello i didn't expect to see you so soon after our rendezvous and she's like <laughs> that was a horrified sound you just made i love it also i want to talk about what she's wearing Okay. As per usual. So she's wearing a flowered blouse, silk blouse, but the sleeves are sheer and also have flowers printed on them. And then over that, she's wearing a fake fur vest. And like, 
the sleeves it looks kind of like she's wearing fishnet sleeves just the way the sheerness and the flowers well, yeah they're they're black nylon sheer so oh i'm sorry i also forgot to mention she's also wearing black leather gloves and like really chunky gold jewelry it's it's kind of like a consignment shop threw up on her she looks great well, yeah she looks great she's lana Perea. it's her magic power so she's like, so I was wondering if you'd want to go for a walk in the park with me. You're not busy, are you? And he's like, well, I am busy, but I'll cancel everything for you. Oh, he can get it. And she's like, ha 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 and puts a little piece of tape over the door to make sure it doesn't lock so Lucy can get in. And I want to say how lucky she is that Dr. Facilier is the one person on the face of the planet who doesn't double check to make sure they lock their door before leaving. Yet he closed the door and didn't do the little tug thing that you do to make sure it's actually locked. Which, I mean, I'm sorry, he deserves to have his apartment broken into by a small child. Okay, he clearly lives in a doorman building, so he's just used to not having people break into his place. Mm. So Lucy has entered the lair. Ooh. Meanwhile, Tilly is bored as shit in Henry's apartment. Yeah, of course she is. They left her alone with nothing to do. So she decides it's time to start snooping in his apartment, which is 100% fair, by the way. If you are alone in someone's apartment waiting for them, and they know you're there waiting for them, you 100% are in the right to snoop around to alleviate your boredom. That's my that's my ruling. Yes. She can't find anything interesting in Henry's apartment, so she picks up a book about Robin Hood. Not just a book about Robin Hood. The book that was Regina's book about Robin Hood that, like, healed her heart when she lost him. God. So she starts reading it when she sees a banana sticker on her shoe. It's not not necessarily a banana sticker. It could be, like, a tomato sticker or an avocado sticker. You know how millennials are these days. God. Yes, it is a fruit sticker from a very specific uh, market, the Hyperion Grocery. So she remembers that yesterday she was at the Hyperion Grocery, which I have to say, we find out later on in the next scene that she goes there every day. So I feel like she shouldn't have needed a sticker to figure that out. But Also, yeah, shouldn't Henry and Hook have asked her, like, What's your schedule? Where are the places you normally go? I mean, it's part of her deal that she kind of does the same thing every day. You know, like she was in a curse or something. So she goes to the grocery. And she's like, hey, Mrs. Lewis, I'm in a little bit of a pickle. Uh, Did you see I I need someone to testify to my whereabouts? Did you see me here yesterday? And Mrs. Lewis, who apparently runs it, is like, who the fuck are you? Well, I think Mrs. Lewis is the produce manager. We see her working with the produce. It makes sense that Tilly would go to her first because she has the fruit sticker on her boot. Yes. Although that could have been there God knows how long. Right? Or she could have picked it up anywhere. So, I have some problems with the whole no one recognizing Tilly because Mrs. Oh, but Max, cities are like cold and impersonal, so no one sees Tilly. Ugh. Uh, that is kind of a thing later with Robin complaining about how in a small town everyone knows your business all the time and it's like, ugh, ugh, God. So, you know what this reminded me of? What's that? This reminds me of Larry. Larry, the guy who checks us out at the grocery store? Yes, Larry who works at our uh, local Safeway. Larry's great. Everyone loves Larry. The fun thing about Larry is, like, if you go there when you're waiting in line like he legitimately he knows everyone Mm -hmm. like he asks about people's families like he's a great guy i hope safeway knows you know what an asset he is yeah but the thing is not everyone who works at that safeway is larry 
But, like, they know us when we go there to pick stuff up. Yeah, and we only go, like, every week. I also go to my, I also go to the same coffee house every morning on my way to work because it's between my bus stop and work. And they know me when I walk in. They know my name when I walk in. People know us at the movie theater that we go to, like, every other week. Yeah, like, people remember other people. Even when you're in the service industry and work around, uh, and work when there is a ton of people that you have to deal with every day. Like, you will recognize your regulars. And I'm not saying that, like, you're required to or you're a bad retail person if you don't. Because, as you said, you serve a lot of people every day. But Tilly's a really distinctive person. Tilly is an unusual girl who orders a marmalade sandwich from the bakery every day and is also really pretty. You yeah. would remember her. Yeah, she goes in and she's like, oh, do you, hi, it's me, that girl who orders a marmalade sandwich every day. She even calls the guy Mr. Charles. Like, by his name, he's not wearing a name tag. He's, like, she clearly knows him well enough. Who orders a marmalade sandwich every day? You remember that. Yeah, I'm like, is there supposed to be some sort of mystical thing to people not seeing her? Because... Yeah, I was wondering that too, but no, I think it's just supposed to be cities are cold and impersonal. Also, I said that she says that to the bakery guy because she orders a marmalade sandwich every day, but she actually says that to the deli guy, which means she orders a marmalade sandwich from the deli. That's definitely something you remember. Yeah. It's not a thing delis serve. I mean, it's a thing they could serve, I guess. I guess. I'm sure they have the marmalade spread, so just like, I don't know. But, yeah, there's no way these people don't remember her. This is such a, I don't want to say. Convoluted. Yeah, it's convoluted. It's a convoluted plot. Like, yeah, it's convoluted. It, it's reaching. It just, it doesn't work. It's it's not believable. You've, you've bumped me, right? Like, I don't believe it anymore. So now I'm, now I'm out of the moment because I'm just thinking that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, you have to twist the narrative so much to fit the plot of this one specific episode listen once upon a time i'm telling you that by your standards this doesn't make any sense that's saying something meanwhile alice meanwhile back in the flashback alice and robin are having some girl bonding time in jail yeah okay robin calls alice a hippie troll hugger who pissed off the frankenstein mob which is so many Earth Prime references at once to, like, throw at someone that I, she's doing it on purpose, right? Yeah, I mean, none of those words would make sense to Alice. I mean... Or in the words would... I, I, I understand the individual words, but that sentence is a mystery to me. Yeah. So, they're bonding over the fact that Alice grew up isolated in a tower. She was alone her whole life, and... She just wants to get out there and explore the great wide world, but people are always locking her away and no one really sees her, which those two things don't really connect. No, not at all. And then they try to give and then they try to give Robin a character. She she's basically like poor little mean girl here. She's Cordelia Chase apparently. She's like I was surrounded, uh, I was, I had the opposite problem where I was always surrounded by people. I grew up in a small town where everyone knew everyone else. And sometimes when you're surrounded by people, that's when you're the most alone. She also complains that Storybrooke was insufferably quaint, which I mean is true. It was built by Regina to be a torture prison for Snow White. So fair on that. I don't know why Zelina moved back there. It seemed like she was leaving at the end. 
let's not get into that. My point is that she's telling this to Alice, a person who lives in a fake medieval land. You mentioned that the insufferably quaint storybook is supposed to be contrasted against the thriving metropolis of Hyperion Heights. (laughs) Yeah. But Alice doesn't have context for cities in fake medieval land. Every place where she would possibly have gone is the insufferable, everybody knows everybody, everybody knows your business place, like Storybrooke. The only reason everybody doesn't know Alice's name is because she has no, you know, home. Yeah, because she's a vagabond. So then she, then Robin pivots weirdly into talking about how she was a high school mean girl and... But also, like, a rebel because she stole... Emma's car. She stole her yellow bug. I stole the sheriff's yellow bug to try to escape the quaint small town. I made it eight... I only made it eight minutes before she caught me, but they were the best eight minutes of my life, which... Why would you steal Emma's car? Not cool, Robin. Not cool. Not just not cool. Like, why wouldn't you steal, like your mom's car Uh, or why would you steal why would you steal any car other than the one that belongs to the literal sheriff who has literal magic powers oh i thought you meant why steal the bright yellow car why wouldn't you steal a different car like that's what i don't get why would you go for the very recognizable very high profile car that belongs to the probably one person by that point One person in town who has magical powers. Oh my god. Well, I mean, the reason that she does this is so that Alice can be confused about the concept of a bug that you ride. And Robin can show her a picture of the beetle on the phone. And Alice is like, my god, this box is magic. And Okay, it is magic because apparently when you're in fake fairy tale land, you don't need to plug it into charge, which is fucking magic and i love it that is pretty great but robin's like you know i used to live my whole life inside this box and alice is like that's even smaller than my that that's even smaller than my tower hashtag go outside hashtag you know put down your phone and talk to people Ugh, kids these days yeah yeah have you ever tried putting down your phone and just living life have you ever tried that robin living life because that one quote from ferris bueller life moves pretty fast sometimes yeah which i'm sorry fuck you ferris fuck you you are a huge dick who ruined cameron's life you deserve jail jail for ferris okay okay ferris is the villain of the piece so i feel like you can't get that mad at him Eh. it's just like how i wanted uh, Project X to end with those kids going to jail for all of the horrible shit they did. But aren't those kids supposed to be like the heroes of Project X? I haven't seen Project X. Yes, the kids are supposed to be the heroes of Project X. Ferris is pretty clearly the villain of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I feel like people would argue with you. Well, come at me, I guess. Join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television, or tweet at me at I Love TV Zines and tell me why you think that we should consider ferris bueller the good guy robin reaches up and like brushes alice's hair behind her ear at this point yeah 
so I think this is there. There's very few bits in this episode that sort of relate that sort of relays the fact that they're going to be in a relationship later. And I guess this is sort of one of them, even though Robin's just doing it to get one of Alice's hairpins so she can pick the lock and get out of there. Spoilers for like five minutes from now. Even though it really seems like Robin's the one who has pinned back hair and not Alice. Um, oh, yeah, you know what? I think you're right. Tilly has pinned back hair. So Tilly probably has hairpins. Whatever. So Alice goes off as, as, as Robin is stroking her hair for all those precious hairpins. Uh, Alice goes off on this tangent about how her father always told her that all the best people are mad, which literally relates to nothing that you guys were talking about. Not just that the best people are mad, but the best people are so mad that they see life through a looking glass. Yeah, Robin decides to pick the shackles and get the fuck out of there. Okay, did the writer spend like 20 minutes in a dryer before writing this? It's so disconnected and jumbled. Hey. Oh, was that metaphor labored? Was that a labored metaphor? Because the people writing this episode would know nothing about that. <laughs> okay, fair. Oh, Robin says goodbye to Alice, calling her Tower Girl, which I actually want to come back to. She calls her Tower Girl. Mm. Tower Girl. Tower Girl. And says that, sorry, she's going to leave her behind. In- yes, yeah, she, she uses the uh, hairpin to pick the lock, and Alice is like, oh, you can pick my lock too. And Robin's like, <laughs> no. She says she has to go fight the troll because it's her only chance to secure her legacy. Uh, she has this thing about living up to her father's legacy. And... I mean, that's fair. If you had never met your father and had only had and had only been told stories about him, you might have a an issue about that. Well, if she really wants to be like Robin Hood, she should do nothing for two seasons and then go down like a punk. Damn. Okay, fair. So. We cut from that to Regina on her date with Dr. Facilier. They had clam chowder. They went down to the docks and had clam chowder, which That's seems like... That's the least sexy food ever to have on a date. <laughs> Seriously. We're going to have clam chowder and then we're going to go in the tilt-a-whirl. Gross. It's the most romantic date possible. So their little romantic interlude gets interrupted by Zelina, who runs up and she's like, What the fuck are you doing? And Dr. Facilia is like, oh, hello, Kelly. And she's like, no, shut up. I know that you're not under the curse. Zelina, Regina, Facilia, shut the fuck up. Shut up, shut up, shut up. And Facilia is like, oh, okay, you two work this out. I'm going home where this is not. And she's like, no, no, this will just take a minute. You can just hang out. And he's like, no, no, I, I know you two. I, I'm, I'm just going to go home. And after he leaves, Regina's like, God damn it, Selena, I wasn't fucking him. I mean, I am. But I was distracting him so that Lucy could ransack his apartment. And then she starts texting Lucy, you know, get out of there. Dr. Facilier's coming back. But of course, Lucy has her phone on silent. Dun, dun, dun. Because, yeah. you know, a walkie-talkie definitely would have bridged that distance. You yeah. know, a child's walkie-talkie, like the kind you buy at a toy store. Meanwhile, Alice is walking in slow motion down the street, and all around her are familiar faces, worn-out places, worn-out places. 
Henry sees her on the sidewalk and grabs her and shuffles her into an alley so that she can have a quick existential crisis where she's like, no one sees me. If no one sees me, do I even exist? And Hook's like, shut up. Of course you exist. Just start an Instagram like everyone else if that's your concern. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ, Tilly. Like, we don't have time for your weird temper tantrum identity crisis. We're trying to rescue you from the police who don't appear to be looking for you at all also which i keep forgetting i'm I'm a part of yeah like if if the cops pulled her over you could be like nope i got her in custody yeah yeah this is seriously the worst manhunt ever well also like hook doesn't need to do a wookie prisoner gag here to to reference previous seasons of once upon a time he can just say I'm the cop investigating this case, and I don't believe, despite some bad-looking circumstantial evidence, that Tilly did it. The end. Like, what? What? What is happening? Then Tilly remembers that she came down this alley after she got her marmalade sandwich, and she threw her backpack in a dumpster for some reason. What is this? What is this episode? That's because that's what you do. If you're going to eat a sandwich in public first, you have to throw your backpack into a dumpster. I don't don't know. Hopefully there'll be something in the backpack that can exonerate her. And she's like, it's proof, proof that I'm here. And then a cop drives past and Hook's like, "Uh oh, the cops, we better book it. Book it, man. It's the fuzz. Dude, you're the fuzz. All right, I keep forgetting. Let's run anyway. What is happening? So back in the flashback, Clayton Etz peasant crew. Yeah, Clayton and a bunch of people with pitchforks and torches. Have the troll surrounded, I guess. I mean, they're all standing to one side. Apparently the troll is in a cave that's off screen. Yeah, I would say they have him cornered. Yeah. And he's about to char- He's about to lead the charge in when Robin shoots an arrow that goes whizzing by his ear. Yes, like right next to it. And he's like, how did you get out of our cell? And she's like, it's all about the tumblers. To reference a very old episode. Yes, to reference a very old episode. But she's like, you need my help. You need me to defeat the troll. Which, do they? Would they? I, I mean... I could see it being helpful to have someone with a long-range weapon, but... Well, ironically, the person they actually need in order to defeat the troll is still in the cell, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, so... So then the guy, Guy Clayton, I'm just gonna call him Guy Clayton. Yes, Guy Clayton. Then the guy is like, um, you're not gonna be that helpful, you couldn't even hit me in the face with an arrow. (laughs) Which, she was clearly doing that to get your attention, dude. Like, she obviously wasn't aiming for you. <laughs> Next time I'll aim for the mannequin and hit you instead. God, maybe this mob only has room for so many people. So to join it, you have to kill somebody. Maybe. Oh, it's so dumb. And and Robin is like, um, I am a great archer. I'm Robin fucking Hood. And he's like, you're not Robin Hood. Robin Hood's a guy. And she's like, bitch, I'm a legacy character now. Yeah, I'm like, I, I could say literally any superhero. They're all legacy characters now. Yeah, basically. I'm Miles Morales. <laughs> no, no, sh- no, you're not. Shut up, Robin. But 
Robin to prove herself is going to shoot that like the the troll has been attracted by the attention by all of the noise and shouting so to prove herself to the mob she's going to kill it with you know one shot and you know what thank god alice intervenes because we all know that pointy sticks are no match for magical creatures and this would have just been really embarrassing for robin but instead of being embarrassed, she gets tackled by Alice, who, like, obviously causes her arrow to go askew. And I like how the troll just disappears as soon as Alice tackles Robin, and everyone's like... I know this, sh- I know this show is not good with themes this episode, but the troll is basically mirroring Dr. Facilier here. He's like, you know what, I'm gonna go back to my apartment and let you guys work all this out amongst yourselves. So... Uh, Guy Clayton is like, thanks for nothing, troll lover. Now the troll's gonna go back and kill all of the women and children in her village. And Alice is like, the troll's not a monster, you are! And he's like, what the fuck? Okay, look. I am the designated bad guy of this episode, so I guess I have to threaten to kill you now, otherwise I would look too reasonable. Yeah, they had to make Guy Clayton a real over-the-top asshole to make Robin decide that she had to defend Alice. Yeah, which... Because he's definitely in the right. He's been in the right the whole episode. Like, this is the one place where I think he's in the wrong, and he's like, I guess we have to kill the girl who keeps on protecting the troll, and I'm like... I mean, maybe because she also managed to get her way out of the cell? Also, I mean, (laughs) he doesn't know this, but... Honestly, that's not the worst idea, considering she's the one who mystically created the goddamn troll in the first place. Oh, oh, alternate really, really dark story where he kills Alice so that she stops interfering. And then he's like trying to track down the troll for the rest of his life because it vanishes when Alice dies. And he, everybody else one by one gives up because they're like, well, the troll's obviously gone. But because his family, in my story, his family was murdered by the troll. But because his family was murdered, he's like, no, I have to find the troll or else it will come back and do more harm. And he just spends the rest of his life wandering the woods looking for the troll. Hey, he could join up with Ahab from last episode. Don't, are you just trying to get me riled up because it makes the episode better? Yes. But, oh, they couldn't do that, though, because then it would be a consistent theme. No, no. Instead, the two girls decide that they are going to fight back-to-back, which is awesome. I like it. And luckily, they are rescued by... Herbie the Lovebug. Yes. Alice, Alice... Alice is like, boy, I sure wish that something would come along to save us. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Alice wishes Herbie the Lovebug into existence, and no one's like, you're fucking powerful! But okay. yeah, you know what this reminds me of? What does this remind you of? My it's Harry Potter. Yes, there's this Tumblr post that I love, where it's just an alternate ending to Deathly Hallows when you know Harry is going into the woods to confront Voldemort, and you know he's you know going to meet his death, head held high, and the Fort Anglia just bursts out of the woods, runs over Voldemort, backs over him, runs over him again, <laughs> yes. and Harry's like, oh, problem solved. Yes, that is amazing. More things in Harry Potter should have been solved with the car. We should have spent more time with the car. Yes. The girls get into the yellow Volkswagen bug and it takes off. And everyone else is like, what the fuck? Okay, this is one of the things. What I like to do a lot in this sort of show nowadays is pay attention to what extras are doing. Yes. Because that's 
not always, but frequently more entertaining than what's going on in the foreground. Well, I mean, on this show. Yeah. I mean, in other shows, like, in Riverdale and stuff, because extras have this really weird job where they have to act as much as they can without pulling focus, and also they can't interfere with the main action so you get to see a lot of really funny stuff just by looking at what background people are doing also there's like a weird thing where sometimes they're directed to not notice things that normal people would be paying attention to yes but i do love how very carefully everyone as soon as the bug the bug starts pulling up and everyone very calmly just sort of pulls to the side to give the bug space to pull up next to Alice and Robin, and then they just stand there while they have a little conversation about the bug, then they get in the bug and drive away. Like Well, I, that feels realistic to me because everyone's like, What the fuck? <laughs> what? What? That feels that feels pretty realistic to me. So they get in the bug and they drive off. Meanwhile, in the present, Lucy is going through uh, Dr. Facilier's apartment. Uh, she sees a tarot set up on a special tarot reading table. Oh, I think it was, I think that's just his kitchen table. Oh. But it's, it's a very nice kitchen table because everything in his apartment is very nice. So she, uh, she looks at them and she's like, oh, the death card. Yeah, she's like, the death card? I better take a picture so I can tell Grandma about it. And look... It's Yo. not the happy squirrel. You're going to be fine. Yes. As everyone knows at this point, the death card is not inherently a bad card. It just means change. And secondly, even if it was a terrible card, even if it was like the Ten of Swords, which is a terrible card. Yeah, but it's not Major Arcana, so no one pays attention to it. Fair. Um, well, actually put a pin in that. Yes. But even if it was like a really bad card, that doesn't tell you anything about Dr. Facilier. He didn't make it come up. He's just the messenger in this case. Yeah, don't villain blame the messenger. Right? So Regina's like, damn it, she's not picking up. And Selena's like, why didn't you use walkie-talkies? She'd pick up if they were if you were using walkie-talkies, which you're out of... But it doesn't matter because... Lucy goes over to get her phone to take a picture of the tarot spread so that she can show it to Regina. And she sees like a million and ten missed calls and is like, oops, I better get the fuck out because Dr. Facilia is on his way back. But Lucy, like her father before her, has the mission. So she does snap a picture of the spread before she gets out. Yes. Then did she take the duct tape off the door thing when she came in? Because otherwise I feel like Dr. Facilia should notice. I did not notice if she did or not, but it was actually not duct tape. It was just a piece of scotch tape, Mm. so it probably was not very resilient. I do kind of love this scene because it's like when you're playing hide-and-go-seek with a young kid. Like, she dove under the table, and, like, she's really obviously visible to him, but he's like, okay, you know what, I'm just going to humor her and pretend I don't see her. Yeah. It's like playing hide-and-go-seek with, like, a really young kid. Yeah, it's about right. So, back in Henry's apartment, Henry, Hook, and Tilly are returning. Tilly opens up her backpack so she can find maybe clues as to what she was doing. Ideally, a receipt with a timestamp on it. Yes. But instead, she finds locks of hair from the murdered witches. Wah, wah. Oops. Oopsie doodles. And Hook's like, that doesn't necessarily prove anything. And Tilly's like, I'm pretty sure I murdered those women. Like, I have no memory of what I was doing. 
I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I've gone mad and I've been just murdering women for no reason. And hey, I like, I like Hook's like, to be fair, this does make things more complicated, but we do not know the whole story yet. And Henry's just kind of standing awkwardly to the side. He's like, yeah, Henry's like, this chick definitely killed people. And Hook's like, you didn't, you didn't, I know you, Tilly. And she's like, you don't know me, you're under a curse. And he's like, what? And she's like, I have to go. Basically. So back in the fairy tale flashback, the Volkswagen bug takes Alice and Robin to a place. Mm. A place which will turn out to be the ruined tower that used to be Alice's home. We kind of skipped over it, but when uh, Robin switched sides from mob to protecting Alice, Guy Clayton was like, she's crazy, and uh, Robin said, I'd rather help a crazy person than a bully. Which, what? Uh... He's, what? But it turns out that that phrasing was significant because she was a bully in high school and her whole Robin Hood kick is because she didn't like the person she was and this is how you unbecome a bully. She's going to steal from the popular and give to the nerds. My God. How is there not a Robin Hood story where that's the plot? Okay, actually, I'm pretty sure, and I mean, I hope I'm not making this memory up, but I feel pretty certain that there's a cartoon Robin Hood High School AU. There should be. I mean, honestly, it's pretty, it, it'd be a pretty solid concept. I will, yeah, Nottingham High, you would call it. Yes. Or Sherwood High. You're right, Sherwood High. And the Nottingham High sounds better, but you're right, it would be Sherwood High. Vice Principal Nottingham. Of course. All right, well, we better finish up this recording quick so we can get to writing. Yes. So, uh, Alice and Robin get out of the car. And Alice realizes where they are. They're outside of the tower that she spent the first many, many years of her life trapped in. Yes, she says, home sweet tower. Now, as long as we're talking about tarot and major arcana and tarot, Mm -hmm. let's talk about the tower card. All right. Because the tower card represents both destruction and danger, but also liberation, Hmm. which is what the troll is in this episode. Interesting. And... We know that the troll, spoiler for like the end of this episode in 10 minutes, we know that the troll is Alice, that she generated him out of her wish. And we know that Alice is referred to as the tower by her father. And so Alice is also herself both destruction and liberation. Yes, she's the rook. Yes. The castle. The castle. I am only throwing this out there because it's too... It tracks too well for me to assume it's a coincidence and not intended on the parts of the writers of Once Upon a Time. And the structure of this episode is in other ways so much of a mess that I want to highlight this one thing that I think was well done symbolism-wise. Yes. So Alice starts talking about how much she hates the tower. It's a real 10 things I hate about you thing. She's like, I hate its stones. I hate the moss at the bottom. I hate how it trapped me. And I hate that I miss it so much, which I feel like, honestly, this would have been a better theme for the episode because she talks about how all she ever wanted to do was leave. And then as soon as she left, all she wanted to do was go back. How she's trapped, even even though she escaped the tower, she still feels trapped. Yeah, that would have been a great theme for this episode. But the troll doesn't like that speech either. So he comes storming in. 
Yes, he is the personification of Alice's emotions, so he starts wailing on the tower. Yeah, it's interesting how Alice runs and hides when he shows up. Like, oh, he's your friend and he's good, but now all of a sudden you're like, oh, but also he's dangerous. And Robin's like, hey, hey, shut up. I had magic for a hot 15 seconds, like, I guess within the past year or so, given the... Oh, let's, uh, not... let's not get back into that. But I very briefly had magic so I can, like, smell it. And you stink of magic. You have that good magic stink. Also, you summoned a car. Also, you summoned a car, and clearly the troll is a manifestation of your subconscious. Now, to be fair, Alice did need to be told that the troll was a manifestation of her subconscious. And she also reveals that today is her birthday again. Mm -hmm. So the reason the troll came back is because she wished she had a friend. And that, she believes, summoned the troll. It didn't. It's what summoned Robin. Oh, God. Also, did she just, like, really hate that village? Why'd the troll mess up the village? No, this is a good point. The troll is her. It's a manifestation of her emotions, as you said, which means that maybe Alice is the murderer. Yeah, it's it's entirely possible. Well, the troll shows... Or someone she mystically created as the murderer. Right, because we'll know that she didn't actually commit the murder of the blind baker. So, is that like... Yeah, that's... Well, well, I was thinking, it's like, is Xander, Xander's responsible for all the people Sweet killed in Once More with Feeling, right? According to you. Do, do you think he's not? Uh, no, that's a good question. Like, if you are, if you are the reason why something happens, are you responsible for the fallout from that thing happening? Okay, I guess the question is, would a reasonable person have expected what Xander did to result in deaths? I mean, I'd say a reasonable person wouldn't. Actually, I would say a reasonable person would, considering that literally everything that happens in Sunnydale ends with deaths. Well, I mean, then it's not something you can avoid. But, I mean, gosh. The necklace was like, it brings music. It turns the world into a musical episode. I, I don't think it would be reasonable to expect Xander to assume that means people are going to spontaneously combust from their emotions. I do kind of blame Xander for not mentioning it earlier in the episode. Oh, yeah, 100% he should have mentioned that. Also, like, fuck Xander anyway, but I'm not sure that I feel comfortable laying those deaths at his feet. Because mm. if he is responsible for those, then he's killed more people than Dark Willow. Yup. And Dark Willow only killed people who legit deserved it yeah the world's not exactly crying now that warren or rack is gone god rack so alice goes to talk to the troll and she's like hey i know i created you guess what i'm fine now you can stop watching over me and protecting me and you can not do this anymore and the troll who has lifted up the beetle and been swinging it around is like oh good now i may rest my watch has ended and he sets down the car and leans on top of it and turns into stone specifically the fremont troll which is also clutching a volkswagen beetle by the way so that lined up really well considering the fremont troll was made independent of once upon a time and like way before this season started seriously that was a gimme yeah right (laughs) It's the thing with the balloons in Adventure Time. Our blood oath is fulfilled. Now we can die. <laughs> so, 
Alice reaches up to say goodbye to him as he turns to stone. Which, I mean... I like to think that he's like a Mr. Meeseeks. That he's like, (laughs) my job is done. Now I can... Existence is prison. Now I can go back to being a statue. Yes. And Alice falls to her knees crying because she's alone. Except she's not alone. Robin is there. Robin sees her. Robin sees her. And then we cut to Hyperion Heights, where Alice is standing in front of the troll, talking to it, and realizing that she actually is alone, because in this timeline, she doesn't have a Robin. Oh no, and then Twilight happens. Yeah, she starts walking down the street saying that she's going to leave Seattle, just run off, and she almost gets hit by a car when a hand reaches out and, like, pulls her out of the way. I guess it's Fifty Shades of Grey, because... In Twilight, he wrecked the car, and in Fifty Shades of Grey, he just pulled her back. Okay. Yeah. Robin is definitely Christian Grey. Ugh. No, she's not at all. But she does pull Tilly back and is like, hey, I rescued you. And Tilly's like, I know you think I'm crazy because I was talking to a statue. And Robin, who, as you mentioned, is called Margot in this Hyperion Heights world, is like, no, I don't think you're crazy. Because... Of course, people talk to statues. I just came from Tibet. And also, I love crazy people. Yeah, all the best people are mad, which... Okay. So, the two of them have a, like, connecty moment where it's weird. Like, I guess this is their official meet-cute in this universe. And... I mean, the cutest thing about it is that Robin reveals that she's carrying a book that is her favorite book of all time. Alice in Wonderland. Hey, isn't it great that the woman she that she's read about the woman she sleeps with when she was a kid? It's like Ben Affleck marrying uh what's her face in Gone Girl. It's like if Ben okay, Affleck Okay, that's not fair. Okay, Amazing Amy is nothing like actual Amy from Gone Girl. Yeah, and Alice in Wonderland is nothing like this Alice. Okay. So it's like if Ben Affleck's character was like, oh, it's so crazy. My favorite book was Amazing Amy, and now I'm sleeping with the real Amy. Okay, but that wasn't his favorite book. I don't know that he had even read, I don't even remember if he had read the Amazing Amy books when he met Amy. I'm just saying I would be kind of weirded out if, it, you know, if my spouse had read a, a book that was about me as a child. Okay, I mean, I see that, but. Even if it was like an iconic Giant th- I mean, isn't that why like christopher robin was a like alcoholic who hated his dad yes that is why also that's the plot of the comic book unwritten which is so good yeah it starts out as being about a kid who is the basis of a harry potter style story but then it goes way way off of the off of that plot you should read unwritten it is really good let's finish up this story yes so uh so hook and henry show up okay okay Hook and Henry pull up in their car, and Hook is like, we're out of time, I gotta take you in. What do you mean, out of time? You're the... What? What what kind of clock did you even... What? What? Whatever. Whatever. But Tilly realizes that she does have an alibi, because the Fremont troll has a security camera in its eye. This isn't the Fremont troll, it's the Hyperion Heights troll. Oh, we'll talk about that. But Tilly says, he saw me. He always saw me. But, okay, she wasn't seen 
I mean, the troll is her. So she sees herself. Like if the theme was Tilly rescues herself, that would be one thing. But the theme is nobody notices Tilly. Like this is such a mess. It's thematic. Again, it's thematically all over the place. And like speaking of such a mess, here we go with a scene in Ronnie's bar where Baron Samdi is in like an entirely different plot. And so I guess I guess let's get that started. He I do really appreciate this because well, yeah, it's a much better plot. Yeah, because he comes in and he's like, hey, so I came here to say that I'm sorry our day cut uh, got cut short. And also, really, you don't need to send your granddaughter sneaking around my apartment. See, look, here's her hat. And also, I really obviously saw her hiding under the table. And Regina's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I should just ask you, what's your evil plan? What are you up to? And he's like, okay, I'll tell you. Yeah, right. Also, she she says, I saw the death card. Who are you after? Which, again, death card doesn't mean killing. And also, he didn't put it there. He drew it from a deck. Whatever. He says he's going to get the Dark One dagger from Rumpel. Yeah, and Regina's like, look, yeah, despite all the attempted murder between the two of us, Rumpel's still, oh my god, Rumpel's my oldest friend. Oh my god, Rumpel's my oldest friend. But you know what? That aside, I can't have you kill him. And then Baron Samdi does a little mini spread for her. One of the mini spreads where you just do this card is your past, this card is your present, this card is your future. Which is legit. Yes, that's that's an actual thing. The first card he draws for her is the Three of Swords. Again, not Major Arcana, which is unusual in television portrayals of tarot. Yeah, usually you only get the big ones. And it's perfect because the Three of Swords is heartbreak. That Mm. is definitely Regina's past. But another thing like the Fremont Troll, where most actual depictions of the Three of Swords show a sword, or three swords, piercing a heart, which is also the Disney symbol for the evil queen. There's a really great Ogloff strip where this guy goes to see a fortune teller. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, she's like, I removed everything uh, from my deck except death and the lovers because those are the only two cards anyone ever seems to care about it's better i'm not describing it well it's funny read ogloff (laughs) it's true though the only cards that people do know are like death and the lovers so let's let's fast forward her present card is the empress which 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 is her she's the empress yeah but it's also like motherhood so that's perfect because that is all that's what she is this season and then the final card he lays down is the lovers because even when it's left up to the stars baron samdi is smooth yes well done baron samdi so he's like look i appreciate that you feel like you have to protect rumple but on the other hand look we can still have our thing while i do my own thing like literally literally this does not affect any of your plots. What I'm doing does not affect any of your plots. So we can just keep having sex and doing our own things. Okay? Yeah, definitely for that. Yeah, and Regina's like, uh, uh, hmm. Back at the police station, everybody's checking the security camera footage from the troll. The troll that, as you said, is called the Hyperion Troll, or that's what we've been calling it because it's in Hyperion Heights, but I asked you to put a pin in that because the security footage is labeled 
Fremont Troll. Which, it's not in Fremont. Fremont's a neighborhood, and it's very specifically not this neighborhood. Yeah, the area surrounding the troll is not what the area surrounding the Fremont Troll is. You had to put extra work to be wrong. Yeah, it's really annoying, right? They also say that the security camera was put in to catch graffitis, which is... Graffitos? A graffito is a single graffiti. So a graffitiist is a person who does multiple graffitos. I thought a graffito was someone who commits graffiti. No, graffito is the singular of graffiti. How do you have singular graffiti? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just translating the Latin for you, man. I don't know what to tell you. The point is, there's no graffiti around the Fremont Troll. But we have seen lots of graffiti around the Hyperion Troll. I also want to point out the camera is not pointing at the place where the graffiti typically is. No, it's pointed at a street. So <laughs> we put the security camera. We we recast the eye of this statue so that it would include a security camera that's not pointed at any of the areas where crime is occurring. Whatever. Let's move on. So Hook is like, clearly you were at the Troll at 320, so you're free to go, which... He also could have said with literally no evidence because he is the cops, but whatever. Back in fake medieval land. I guess Alice wished up a ki- uh, another cake because somehow there's just a cake there. Yeah, yeah. Robin has a single piece of cake with a single birthday candle in it, which she is lighting with her Zippo lighter. I believe Robin brought a Zippo lighter with her. Oh, yeah. If I was going to go on some sort of mystical journey, I would definitely bring lighters. Yeah. Lots of lighters. Yeah. Although I'd probably bring cheaper ones and just bring a lot of them. Well, I'd bring one Zippo lighter with oil to replace it. Mm. Yeah. So Robin is like, so make a wish. And Alice does. And then she's like, okay, now we got to get out of here. And why didn't you wait until you were someplace safe before you did the little lighting the candle ritual, Robin? Whatever. I don't get why. Does Robin think the mob's chasing them? I think she does. Why? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't. It could not matter less. Do you think, do you think, okay, so presumably the tower isn't that far away from the village. Do you think Alice sent the troll to destroy the village because she was pissed none of them ever came to visit her? Possibly. Subconsciously. But Alice turns to the tower and she's like, goodbye, tower girl. And then she rides off with Robin into the woods. Yeah, I'd say sunset, but it's night, so. Back in present-day Hyperion Heights, back in Ronnie's bar, Zelina comes in, and Regina's like, hey, here's an Appletini to apologize. And I feel like we've seen Appletinis between the two of them before, and I really love it because it's both Apple, which is on brand for Regina, and Green, which is on brand for Zelina. Well, the last time I remember seeing an Appletini in the show was when the Evil Queen had uh, Aladdin as her genie slave and she had him make them for her. Yes, that did happen. But as an apology drink between Regina and Zelina, it's perfect. Also, Regina says, I made you an apology and hands her the cocktail, which is both unhealthy, but also seems about right. Yeah. And Regina's like, you know, as I should have figured out many years ago, Telling you things is bad, but not telling you things is worse. So I'm up, I'm going to be upfront with you. Doctor Facilier is here for uh, for Rumple's dagger, and also I don't have any intention to not bang him. And Zelina's like, no judgment, which I should hope not. Yeah, considering your yeah. last serious boyfriend killed her last serious boyfriend. Yeah, but then Margot comes back. Margot 
Robin. And she's like, I guess there's no place like home. Wah, 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 wah. Ugh. Yeah. And Selena's like, it's so good to see you, Margot. Yeah, they slip up and almost call her Robin because they're both awake and Robin is asleep. And Robin is like, yeah, I got your 410 missed calls. So I came home and... I'm going to take a shower and then you can tell me why you were blowing up my phone all the goddamn time. Yeah, because everyone looks fine. No one appears to be dead. So I'm going to go take a shower. And then Zelina's like, man, it sucks for her to not know. And Regina's like, join the fucking club. Yep. I do love how they kind of just, (laughs) they just glug, glug, glug. Yep. They just go to their drinks, which again, unhealthy, but seems right. Fair. So, meanwhile, Tilly is free to go home, but her home is... A place where she's squatting. Yeah, it's the weird, like, abandoned, tiny building on top of an actual building. Like, a watershed? Is that what they're called? Mm. The place that uh, Daria, Kevin, and Jane, and Brittany were trapped during the hurricane episode of Daria. Okay. But she isn't there long because Hook comes in and... He's like, hey, I know the optics of this are going to be really fucking awful, but do you want to move in with me? Because this is no place for a young lady, young lady. And Tilly is super happy because I'm pretty sure she does remember that Hook is her dad. And she's, and so she's psyched, not just to not have to live in this tower shed, but also to, you know, be with her father again. Yeah. And he's like, well, then come on with me i guess to my apartment and she does the sad end of a sitcom farewell turning out the lights to the place she's been squatting and god this episode i didn't it didn't bother me so much when we were watching it but talking about it there's it's so not disjointed it's so disjointed thank you it's all over the place and i can talk about a good episode i can talk about a bad episode but this was just a nothing episode yeah yeah it either needed to be a lot better or a little worse yeah i mean i guess it established some good stuff like the fact that alice is basically omnipotent (laughs) yeah right but because i can't learn and i am a glutton for punishment i am hopeful about next week's episode which is called sisterhood and the netflix description says Drizella weighs a deadly deal in the Enchanted Forest and Hyperion Heights. Lucy orchestrates a bromance, in scare quotes, and Jacinda and Henry look for a sign. God, I hope this is a Jack episode. Well, I have to assume that's what the bromance refers to, so that will be great. Also, it's sisterhood and there's Drizella, so I assume that we're finally going to get the Anastasia stuff resolved. Mm. Also, side note... Apparently, we're calling fake fairy tale medieval land the Enchanted Forest, even though the Enchanted Forest is where. That's where the evil queen is living currently, right? Yeah. Like. Whatever. Yeah. The, uh, okay. So. Uh, fashion this episode, I only have really one thing to talk about, which we didn't really talk about that much. But in the opening bit where uh, Alice summons the troll to save her from the tower. Uh-huh. They did a really good job, because it, it, it is still the Tilly Alice actress. They're doing the thing where, you know, 17-year-old Emma was played by 30-something Jennifer Morrison. They did a really good job aging Alice down. Yeah, she does look like a child. They have her in 
not no makeup, but the makeup that's supposed to look like no makeup. And she, and her, somehow the way they have her hair long and over her shoulders makes her look much younger. Yeah, I think it it's back in a band too. I mean, they lean into Alice classic. I mean, you were going to talk about her outfit, I think, which is the blue dress with the white apron that matches the Disney design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was that was it. it. They did a good job with that. But other than that, and Regina's amazing date outfit. Yes, there wasn't really anything that popped. Yeah, I guess not. Now, I believe you had something for recommendations. Okay, I have a recommendation, and it comes with a story. All right. So a few weeks ago, I was at Powell's, the independent bookstore that takes up a full city block and is an amazing feature here in Portland, Oregon. Yes, you should visit if you're ever in town. And I was looking for a book to pick up so that I would have something to recommend if it were to be a good book. And I noticed a book called The Forest Queen, which was about a female Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. And I went to pick it up, and as I went to pick it up, I noticed the book next to it, which is called Geekerella, which is a book that I own and have sitting on my to-read pile. And I just realized that the book was shaming me by being next to the book that I haven't read yet. So I put it down, and I did not buy it. Then we watched this episode, and I thought, God damn it, I should have bought and read that book and seen if it was any good. So I went to my digital reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I searched for books about female Robin Hood because I couldn't remember the name of the book. And there were so many books about a female Robin Hood. So then I thought, well, with this, like, embarrassment of riches, I may as well refine my search. So I searched for books about a female Robin Hood with a lesbian romance. And I came to Marion by Ella Lyons. And I recommend this book. If you want a book that's mostly just a cute little lesbian love story, but the Robin Hood stuff is kind of going on in the background, and also it's a female Robin Hood, Marion by Ella Lyons is the book for you. All right, so uh, I have two recommendations. One's uh, One which is, uh, they're both a little off theme. Okay. Uh, the first one is a book called Rapunzel's Revenge. It's about, it is a Rapunzel story, except it's a really interesting takeoff Rapunzel where she escapes from, it, it's a Western. Oh, she, interesting. She escapes from the tower by braiding her uh, her hair into two long braids, which she uses as lassos to have adventures across an Old West type fantasy land. Huh. Uh, and she teams up with Jack the Giant Killer. Nice. Which, it just made me think about it because it's... You know, a character escaping from a tower to team up with someone from a different fairy tale. And this isn't this isn't really a recommendation, but it just made me think about it so much. Uh, are you aware with the, are you aware of the 1970s era Alice in Wonderland musical pornography? Um, of course I am. Yeah, I saw it back in college and I'm not really a porn person. It's not exactly my area of expertise. But did porn used to be, like, actual movies? I think it did. Because, like, the 1970s Alice in Wonderland porn is literally just... It's an Alice in Wonderland musical where occasionally people have sex. Very 1970s sex, by the way. Yeah. Like, if you... Don't want to commit to actually watching a porn, which I don't blame you. I'm not trying to recommend porn to anyone here. But you should look up the musical number, uh, What's a Nice Girl Like You Doing on a Night Like This. It is an insanely catchy song, and I think it's on YouTube. It, it's 
it's relatively non-pornographic because it's on YouTube. Yes. But it it's so weird because that I had a friend who was show, who did a showing of it. And I'm like, is, is it weird that we're all just going to be sitting here? And he's like, no, it's like an actual movie. It is. And it is. It's legitimately an actual movie. I've shown it to many people. You, I believe, have a copy of it. Of course I have a copy of it. Yes. So uh, I think that'll about do it. Yeah, I think that's it for us. Let me just quickly plug next weekend, if you live in Portland, you should come visit us Sunday at the Portland Zine Fest. Yes, we will be tabling at the Portland Zine Fest. Welcome to Storybrooke is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you can head over to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We would like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, and Javier. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or talk about anything television with us, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this is Welcome to Storybrooke. Get out right now and change your ways. You can't have your cake.